welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, the hacker maker, Philip Wiley. And each episode, I have a unique guest with a story of how they got started in the cybersecurity industry. And I'm really excited about my guest today, JJ Davey. He's very passionate about helping others. He's a security pr- practitioner, lots of great experience, very highly skilled person, but one of his passions is helping other people. So uh, this is just one of the, the uh, goals of the show is to help people get started and what, you know, couldn't pick a better guest to be on the show. So welcome to the show, JJ. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And thank you for the very warm welcome. And so um, I think I'll go ahead and just give a quick overview of my, basically myself and my journey into cybersecurity and maybe touch on a bit about the struggles that I've had um, getting into the industry. So I started my actual technology journey in the UK Armed Forces um, as a communication systems operator. That's basically using satellites, uh, computer networks, very old school stuff, not like uh, the Cisco stuff that you see today. It's very old school kind of army ruggedized kit. So that's where I got exposed to my first bit of technology uh, there. Um, I grew a passion for it within the armed forces. Um, After about six years, I left the armed forces uh, and found a service desk role at Lockheed Martin. I was there for about a year and I found out it's not really for me. So I rashly just, Put my notice in and left that job, uh, which was probably a risky decision at that point because I didn't have another job to go to. So I was there calling around different recruiters going, hey, have you got anything? Hey, have you got anything? And I got this one recruiter called me and said, hey, I've got this, this junior SOC role, but it's for a graduate. I said, oh, I bet I could do it. I've looked at the job description. I think I can do it. So I was pretty much begging on my knees over the phone. And he said, right, I'll put you forward and see what they say. So he put me forward. I remember sitting there on the beach there's a cold beach as well. I was sitting there, just kept phoning him, just looking at my phone, refreshing my emails, seeing if I got anything. And then picked up the phone and he's like, they want to interview you. And I was over the moon. But at this point, I didn't even know what security operations center was. I didn't even know what cybersecurity was. I didn't even know it existed at that point. Got there, had the interview, passed the interview. I think I did well. I didn't get much feedback, but I must have did well because I got the job. I was there for about a year, uh, I left there to join uh, Carnival Cruise Line as their Tier 2 analyst, which was a really, really good industry to be in. I was really exposed to a different mode of operating for a security operations centre because they have cruise ships, so it was a very unique challenge to be able to provide cybersecurity for essentially what's a floating city. So that was a really unique challenge. Unfortunately, COVID hit, and I was then jobless because they had to uh, downsize the company in terms of their number of employees. Then moved to a, a fintech as a pen tester for six months just to try and tie me over. 
really good experience. Um, let me see the kind of pen testing side of cybersecurity, which a lot of people are probably going to get shocked, but I didn't actually enjoy the, the pen testing side of it. I think it was more the report writing that kind of made me a bit tired. So I found a security operations center tier two role at CyberClan, which I'm, I'm currently at, at the moment. Enjoyed it, got promoted to UK lead, and I'm still here currently. The challenges I've had during my time here was that actually I didn't have any certifications when I first went for that role, uh, for my, my junior role. And that made it incredibly difficult because there was no way for them to validate my skills. They had nothing to give them that assurance that I possessed a, a baseline level of skills, which is what most employers do. So for me, it was a case of telling them and persuading them and articulating what I knew to them. And it's, the, the challenge is trying to get someone to listen. So talking to that recruiter, making sure that they can hear you properly about what you actually have and what you can bring. And the, one of the, the biggest thing that I found was passion. Passion always speaks volumes for the person trying to go for that role. If you can't get across that passion, then all these certifications probably are worthless because that passion is normally equates to a cultural fit. And that cultural fit normally outweighs certifications. But that depends on the role you're going for. One of the other challenges was trying to learn everything too quickly. There was so much to learn. And when I went into the Security Operations Center role, I realized I have so much to learn. I know absolutely nothing. So I was there learning networking, Security Plus, all at the same time. I was learning malware analysis. And I remember going to bed. I was, I was pretty healthy. I was like 24 years old. I should be fit as a fiddle, healthy. But I was going to bed at like 6 o'clock at night because I was knackered from all the studying. And I was just so tired. And it wasn't wasn't it wasn't sustainable. I was just it's such a challenge. If I could go back to my uh, younger self and shake him and say, "Hey, take your time. You know, you're going to fail and make mistakes along the way. Just take your time and take it in your strides." I would do that. I would shake him and give him a little slap and say, "Take it a day at a time. Don't learn everything at once." Because uh, I remember going onto Amazon, spending a hundred pounds on books, um, and it took me months to get through each book. And I thought, just buy one book at a time instead of buying the whole stack. Um, and that was one of my biggest challenges. But ultimately, the journey has been fantastic. And it's some really good people along the way that have helped me become who I am today. Um, I have a big following on LinkedIn. But for me, it's not about the, not about that kind of vanity, vanity metric. For me, that number is the number of people I could potentially have a positive impact on. So how many people I can positively help benefit their lives, how I can build them up. That's what I do with my content. So a lot of my content isn't about you know, make myself feel good. It's about what can I tell the people that could help them improve themselves and make themselves a better version than they are today, tomorrow. Very interesting story. And that, that is one thing for our listeners as you're trying to get started. If you've got someone else that can share their experience with you, it's, it can save you a lot of time. That's why mentors are important because, you know, when you're getting started trying to learn, you don't always know what the best learning resources are. You don't know what the best certifications are. If you need certifications and all this, so if you can learn from someone else, that can definitely save you a lot of time. And so uh, before, I want to make sure we cover this. And since you're so passionate about helping others, uh, why don't you share about your project with our listeners? Yeah, so... Last year, there's probably uh, little bits of talks and you know, some adverts around there for Cyber Mental Dojo. That was actually a bit of a trial that we were doing. So we had this idea, and uh, I say we, uh, one of my friends, David Tyler, we had this idea 
uh, back in uh, 2021 or 2020, I think it was, we had this idea that how could we connect mentors and mentees together? How could we make like a, a kind of LinkedIn for mente- mentors and mentees in cybersecurity? And the brainchild of that was Cyber Mentor Dojo. However, there wasn't a lot of money involved. So we had to try and make it as cheaply as possible, um, as quickly as possible. So there's lots of bugs in that platform, but ultimately it was a test to see if there was something really there in the market. Ultimately there was, so we thought, okay, brilliant, right, we need to make this, and we need to remake this, we need to make it better, we need to get rid of all the bugs, we need to streamline it so it's a complete intuitive process for both the mentor and the mentee. So last week we relaunched we relaunched the platform, brand new platform, brand new application, and we've had some really good feedback so far. Essentially, what you do is you just sign up and say, hey, I'm a mentor or I'm a mentee, and that's it. You find your mentor, you find your mentees, and you start your journey, you connect to each other. The platform has video calls, it has inbuilt messaging, it has forums, it has knowledge base, and the it all comes from a, a big cost of free. There's no cost involved, um, so at no point during that journey are you going to be asked for your credit card. We do have some really good uh, things in the pipeline that we are envision that we're dreaming but it's going to be very slow because uh, at the moment we are trying to look for that kind of growth and we're trying to look for that investment in, in us because ultimately we're not getting any income at the moment from this and we don't care because the, the, the message is we want people to connect with each other i had this dream that we could build this platform and we can connect people and remove titles from it and say hey you know, we don't care if you're a CISO, if you're an analyst, or if, if you're joining here, you're all human. You're helping each other. So if you've had 20 years of experience, help someone that's got no years experience and just let them learn from your mistakes. Ideally, that's what mentoring is, is trying to help people go in the right direction, not teach them, but help them in the right direction. So yeah, Cyber Mental Dojo is our kind of, our platform of, of kind of hope to help people. So we're trying to push people just to go towards it at the moment, it's been quite a quite a heavy pace because we found lots of bugs that we've not seen before. So you have to go back, have to fix them, have to push out the updates, uh, just try and make sure that we can catch these before they become a problem. Um, like most organisations, patching zero days, it's it's one of those things that we just need to make sure that we're trying to make it as intuitive as possible, making sure people get the value from it. It's, it's ultimately our major goal from this. Yeah, I love the cause, and and that's great that you're doing it for free because I've seen some some mentoring actually charge the the mentees, and they say that it's to support the platform, but it's really good. I think if you're going to do a platform for mentoring, if it costs anything, then I think would think you'd reach out to don't get donations from people to help do that because you know when you're getting started out, you know you don't have that much money to pay for mentoring. You know, as we t- talked about before. We, we started recording, you know, a lot of that money needs to be spent on your education or certification. So having that money to pay for a mentor is really going to limit a lot of people from having mentors and some people are, would be totally counted out. Yeah, exactly. And talk about certifications because that's another hot topic when you're trying to break into the industry and it's on the forefront of everyone's mind. It's on the tip of the tongue of almost everyone. Is, is certifications actually really worth it? The answer is... It depends. And I know that's not really a good answer, but it depends. And I'll just go into it a little bit more. Certifications are, for some companies, a legal requirement. So they have insurance that they need to hire competent professionals that are certified because their insurance requires it. 
Some companies don't have that, so they, they can have that luxury of hiring uh, talent that don't have certifications. So for some companies, they do require their cybersecurity professionals that are managing their risk to be certified to an expected standard based on their insurance for legality purposes. Other companies use it as a kind of a, a baseline to say, hey, they must know networking because they've achieved Network Plus, so they must have an element of networking knowledge. It's a baseline for them. It's not the bill and end all, but it's the baseline for them because a lot of companies get thousands and thousands of people apply for their roles. They have no way to go ahead and go into all their LinkedIn's and go to their blogs and all their, their YouTube channels to see what they've done. They need a very quick fire method of saying what their potential level is. And that is unfortunately certifications. On the other hand, if you use LinkedIn correctly and you network within the industry correctly, you could probably bypass that whole requirements of a certification by getting into good conversations with hiring managers, with recruiters, just to see how passionate you really are, putting out articles, blogs, videos, whatever you need to do to create content to brand yourself as a professional, is ultimately going to give you a better statistical chance of getting that yes that you really need. I've seen people um, that have just done Try Hack Me and they put their Try Hack Me certifications or they've done Hack the Box or whatever it may be, and they're talking about it, they're putting their experiences on there. And they're finding roles without certifications, and then they get certifications. But unfortunately, they are, they are going to be around here to stay, stay for a while. And that's purely the nature of the beast. And insurance companies are driving that requirement for, for these um, certifications. And um, big certifying bodies are get, getting involved. There's a, there's a legal legislation just come out in the, in the United Kingdom. Well, it's not, not really just come out. It's, it's going to come out. It's in a kind of request for comment stage at the moment. But it requires certain businesses in the public sector to hire cybersecurity professionals that have a certain level of standard. And that's gauged by certifications. So that's going to make the requirements stay around for a long period of time. So when we go back to the learner, they do have a limited amount of money. We all do. But the learner, less so. And so they're going to be looking for that quick win, which is normally a CompTIA certification or something like EJPC or something like that. They're going to look for that quick win because that's all they can afford. So that's when like platforms like Cybermentor Dojo we said, well, we can't take money from the learner because that needs to go to something that is going to get them into that role. That certification is going to increase that chance. Being on our platform isn't going to increase their chance. It's going to help, but it's not going to increase that statistical chance. They're going to build that network connection but they're not going to get that piece of paper that's going to sit, sit on their LinkedIn profile or sit on their resume or CV to give them that statistical chance of getting into that role. So ultimately, we just needed to make that as cheap as possible. We said, like, we're free. Let's keep it at that. Yeah, that's that's great. And, uh, you know, we we're talking about certifications. Are there any particular certifications that you'd recommend for SOC? <laughs> so... Security operation analysts, it's, it really depends on the environment. But if we're talking from a general perspective, I would say you need to have a good understanding of networking, how systems talk to each other, how to diagnose networking problems, how threats can um, materialize on the network. That's really good knowledge to have. So something like Network Plus is going to give you a good understanding of that. I like to recommend CCNA. Even though it's um, a vendor certification, it does go very deep into networking concepts and constructs, and it can give you a really good understanding of networking. Then you have stuff like your Security Plus or your SSCP. That's going to introduce you to the security concepts and constructs at the foundational level. Go cloud. Get a cloud certification, AWS, GCP, 
Azure, whatever it may be, get cloud certification just to understand the concept of cloud and how businesses use it. For understanding threats um, and diagnosing threats and looking at malware and breaking down malware and instant response, I always suggest Blue Team Level 1 by Security Blue Team. It's a comprehensive Blue Team or Security Defender certification that covers everything from mental health to malware analysis to instant response to phishing analysis. It covers everything. Um, it's very it's very verbose in terms of the content that you get from it. If you get those, you're a solid candidate for a good security role. If you're at a stage where you're just about to break into that senior kind of level, I would start looking at certifications such as CISM or CISA. It's going to give you an understanding about how the business sees security. And when you start going to those senior levels, you're going to be that translator, that person that can translate the technical and security stuff to the business. So the business can understand what they're, what they're listening to. Normally, we talk in the language of risk, maybe mainly financial risk. So what's the financial risk of this alert? And if you can communicate stuff like that to maybe your boss or his, your boss's boss, there's a better chance you're going to have a better relationship with, that, with those seniors and other departments as well. And if you start learning stuff like that, you're going to become a very powerful analyst because you can talk to the business and you can talk to all the other different um, departments within the business. The problem with a lot of security professionals is they become very siloed in what they learn. So they don't think outside the box. They don't go and learn finance or they don't go and learn legal. They don't learn about the challenges of HR. So they become very siloed and security becomes the center of the universe. So once you've learned the foundations and you're really good at being a tier one SOC analyst and you go into that tier two level, Start thinking about learning everything else around outside of security. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to become a lawyer. You don't have to do anything like that. Just know that it exists and know how it impacts the business. So when you have to talk to the legal team, do you go, ha, actually, legally, a risk register is required because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and they go, oh, well, actually, you talk our language. You build relationships. You make it easier. So when, you know, when stuff happens, so let's say a P1 happens, a ransomware is going crazy, you can go ahead and you can go talk to them. You can go, hey, look. You know, me and you, we're friends, right? Um, there's malware on your machine. Is it all right if I can just have a quick look at it? So you build that relationship up. So look at certifications that teach you the business and all the different facets so you can translate it to the business. The last thing you want to do is go, hey, do you know what? One day I want to be a manager. Um, and you go onto a call and all you can do is talk to talk ones and zeros, IP addresses, IOCs, and everyone in the call is just going, what are you talking about? I can't understand you. Um, so learning stuff like that is really important as well. I like to, one of the things that I like to look at as well is learning about the different regulatory compliance um, standards that are out there. So different regulatory standards that are out there. So what may impact your business that you're looking at? So when you look at an alert, you can gauge the impact properly. So let's just say there's a machine that's been breached um, that's in U European Union or in Europe it's subject to GDPR. So if it's got PII on, you're like, all right, okay, I know GDPR exists and I know that it does PII. That increases the impact of this alert. If you're not aware of those things, then it can really harm your ability to gauge the impact of something. So learning stuff like PCI DSS, GDPR, and all the different standards that may implicate some sort of impact to the organization, be aware of them. So go ahead and learn that. So not so much of a certification as much, but something that is probably important to be aware of. Yeah, that's, I like that. That's some good information. <clears throat> and as you mentioned, some of the business stuff, one of, 
uh, one of my former coworkers uh, at a company where I was a red team lead, uh, he had like a, a business degree, but it was just so amazing how valuable he was to the security organization because the CISO always came to him for slides to take to the board and take to some of the other executives in the other areas and some of the business people. It's crazy. It's it's like all, all business leaders will know. And I've, I've I had this conversation before with somebody on a Discord channel, and it's a really good conversation because uh, he said to me, "My my manager's just not listening to me. How can I make him listen?" I said, "Well, first of all, what are you telling him? What's what's the question he's asking you, and what are you telling him?" He said, "Oh, he wants to know how bad it is." I said, "Well, what are you telling him?" I said, "Are you going on and on and on about problems, or are you giving him metrics and giving him short, sweet answers?" And he said, um, "Yeah, I'll." give them an hour talk. And I said, right, open up a Word document, get some metrics and do short lines about each individual one and potential solutions and then talk risk. And he went ahead and did that, set the document. Um, and he said, right, that had worked really well. We've had a good conversation. I said, look, he wants to know what's going wrong right now. He doesn't want to know about everything that's going wrong. He wants to know what's the what's the major fire in the building. So imagine it's like a hotel and all the hotel rooms are on fire. He wants to know where the potential damage is to the structure of that hotel right now and what do you need to put out first of all. And he's like, right, okay. So I said to him, if you could talk to him in a language that he's going to understand, he's probably going to listen to you. If not, he's probably going to ignore you. I said, you're going to get a paycheck at the end of every month, but you're probably not going to be worth something if you can't talk to him properly. So he started talking to him on that and he's like, right, I've just booked myself on a system course because this, this stuff is amazing. I'm just like, it, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. What, you know, as soon as you start speaking the right language, people start listening to you. Yeah. That's, that's some good valuable advice, especially for someone just starting their journey. If they learn that piece early on, they're going to, they're going to get ahead sooner. Uh, so something I just kind of recently you know, experienced a couple years ago when I was interviewing for jobs is understanding the d latest breaches and the things going on in the news from the cyber perspective. Uh, do you feel like that's important? Do you think that's something that could be helpful when you're interviewing that you understand the, the latest threats and breaches and so forth? I think it's crucial because it shows them that one, you're passionate to your current. If you're current, then you can articulate your answers to interview questions to something more recent. So if you're talking about like Log4j and you're talking about different attacks like that, your answers are going to be more current. The worst thing you could do to go into an interview is give them an example of a ransomware attack and go, oh, back in 2017, there was a ransomware attack on the NHS, which was stopped by Marcus Hutchins. They're like, that was in 2017. Everything's evolved since then. There's, uh, we've got remote working on mass. There's new malware. There's new ransomware groups. They want to talk about something more recent. So keeping up with the news is not just really good from a, a fresh intelligence perspective, but from an interview perspective, you can relate it to something fresh because I guarantee you that the, the person sitting opposite you or the person sitting on that Zoom call with you has probably read the article and can know exactly what you're talking about. They're probably not going to know about what happened five years ago. They're probably not going to care. They want to know about what's currently affecting their organization. So that's what it brings me on to another point. If you read that news article and the person, then the company you're interviewing with, and you can relate that potential impact to that company, they're probably going to like that. They're probably going to listen to that. So if you can say, hey, you know, this Log4j attack, I've noticed that uh, when I went to your website that you're using this version of Apache, it potentially, you know, it could be a problem for you. And they'd be like, whoa. And you've just related that news article that's caused a, you know, million pound breach related to us that's fantastic 
Um, and if you start talking about, you know, um, was it Stocksnet? No, they're probably not going to listen. You know, they're probably going to be like, brilliant, you've, re- you've read a Security Plus book. You know, well done. But who cares? That was ages ago. That's not going to infect us. You know, we, we don't have uh, industrial control systems. You know, we're just a, a gaming company. So <laughs> you've got to make sure that if you are going to use a news article, make sure it relates to them uh, or make sure that it is current and they've probably read it because that's also good advice as well. Top tip, look at what industry the company is that you're interviewing with and then look at cyber attacks around the industry and relate that to that interview. Uh, that's very good points. And one of the things to keep in mind about those for our listeners is some of the security news and latest breaches and stuff. Sometimes that's the stuff that management or upper management is going to talk about. They may not be in the, you know, deep into the technical side of things, but those are the things that they're seeing understanding. Yeah, that's the yeah, way you I remember. Yeah. And that's really good that you mentioned that. Cause I remember when I was working um, in the SOC and um, the Brit- British Airways got fined like something ridiculous, like 198 million or something like that. And, um, they, they they found out what happened and they released a report about what happened. And I remember uh, we got a report straight from the vice the vice president going, does this affect us? Literally an email straight into our mailbox going, does this affect us? And then we were like, right, we need to scramble to find out. We need to quickly check all our payment card systems, make sure everything's okay. Um, and then we had to quickly go out to and say, no, it doesn't affect us. And all, all we got was a message going, thanks, sent for my phone. <laughs> but they didn't read it. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. And some of the times that, you know, your management reaches out to see if you're affected by those things or if this can be exploited or so forth. Some, sometimes that can be helpful and score some points for you because uh, I used to work for a bank. And I remember one time it was like the day, the night before Thanksgiving, and we're actually getting things ready for lunch the next day. And I had a director send an email out and saying, I'm forgetting what the the vulnerability was he just sent out an email asking if it could be exploited or not. And out of the people on the team, no one responded, but I did. And that just, you know, made a big difference for me there. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really what you do. And I, I think, I think a lot of people actually have a fear of senior management. I think there's a kind of, um, especially if you've like, if you like for me, you come from an enforcing background, you know, you, you like, you look at like senior management as like your higher rank, you're like, oh, probably don't want to annoy them. But they, at the end of the day, they're just humans and they need to know this information. It's imperative for the business that they find out this information. Yeah. And it seems like once you've got those relationships with, uh, you know, people management, it's going to help your career. You're going to go further. There's le- less anxiety dealing with them than if you just try to avoid it because you're scared. Yeah. And you'll probably find out they're nice people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's just interesting sometimes what you'll have in common with them. So are there any tips that uh, we didn't discuss that you'd like to share with anyone on how, what would be helpful for them to get started? So don't chase certifications, chase the knowledge around them. Certifications should be the byproduct of what you learn. So if you're there and you're studying and you're learning topics, you should naturally be able to pass the exams that are related to that topic because you're studying for the knowledge as opposed to just ticking the right boxes. You should be able to look at a question, but right, I've studied that very well and I know that, and that's the answer. Instead of going, actually, I remember that. You don't want to get to the point where you remember the answer. You want to know the answer. There's a big difference. Remembering and knowing is a big difference. So make sure that when you study, you study for the knowledge. You study to understand the concepts and constructs. 
So you're not here to just pass a pub quiz and get a certification to say that you've done it, but because you actually understand the content. Because what you've got to remember is when you go to your professional career and you're in that role and you're in that seat, somebody asks you a question in relation to your job, you need to be able to answer that. And I can tell you what, no one has ever asked me a Network Plus question when I've been sitting there and doing my job. They've already asked me, asked me a scenario that relates to the company that has an element of networking in, has an element of security in. And I've had to sum up all of my knowledge from these different areas to articulate into an answer to them. So make sure that you're being holistic and comprehensive in your studies, using platforms to use some, a practical element. You're going to places like Cyber Mental Dojo and you're finding a mentor to help you in your journey and give you the right direction. You're joining study groups to ask other people for their perspectives. You're being open-minded to different perspectives. You're not just challenging them, but you're challenging them rationally and logically. And you're looking to try and critically analyze news articles, information, to see things from different angles. Because not everything is one and zero. Um, it's not all binary. There's always going to be different angles to everything, such as like malware analysis. There's going to be many different ways that you can unpack malware. And there's not always going to be a one-size-fits-all for it. So you need to learn the different ways that you can do it. Yeah, one of the things I like about what you said, too, about learning the topic when you try and get the certification, because it's like if you rush through this and just do enough to pass the cert, how's that going to help you on your interview? Because if you go do the interview shortly after the exam, you may do well, but six months, a year later, you're not going to remember that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's just you got the certification, but then people are going to say, well, he's got certifications, but he doesn't know anything. I've been in interviews like that where somebody on paper, they looked amazing. They had all the certifications that I wanted that person to have. And in the interview, we're asking them basic questions around the topic that they should have known. And it was just, they completely bombed. Mm -hmm. they, you know, it wasn't a confidence issue. A lot of them came in and they were pretty prim and proper, giving you know, really good answers, really good talk, really good introduction. But when it came to the questions, that was it, just drawn a blank. And it was like, I don't know whether it was a pressure, which it could have been, it could have been a pressure scenario. But for me, it was like, you've studied enough that you could at least articulate something. I mean, at least tell me what the port is. I mean, asking questions like, what is DNS and what does a DNS, uh, what does a DNS, what does DNS actually do? And what does it achieve? They should be able to answer that. And once you struggle at that point with those certifications on your CV, you need to go back to the very beginning. You need to go back, you need to go back over it because that's just going to, I don't know if anyone's, you know, anyone listening is a Skyrim fan, but that's an arrow in your knee. You know, imagine you're an adventurer and you're going through to become this amazing cybersecurity professional. You've got all these certifications, you've got all these medals on your chest, but you haven't got the minerals to back it up. Then it's it's not going to work in your favour. Yeah, then not to mention once you get on the job and you've spent all this time to certify, but you didn't learn it, and then now you got to go back and learn it over again or do a lot more research to get the answers. Yeah. And if you're working under SLAs, yeah, you're <laughs> going to feel the pressure. Yeah. And I can imagine being a security, a security operations center analyst too, because that's not like, that's usually because something funny is going on. It's not, we're putting in a firewall and we've got time. We're not being pressured. So I can just imagine there's a lot of pressure in that role to figure out it's, what's going yeah. on or investigate <laughs> what happened and, <laughs> yeah that's all the uh there's, there's slas everything uh in security operation centers um and that's where a lot of burnout comes from is, is is the high pressure situations because of those slas 
and they're here to stay. They're not going to go. So it is a high-pressure environment, and you have to be able to work quickly, not just quick, quickly, but accurately as well. Yeah, one one of the things I wanted to, I just that just crossed my mind too to discuss is you know a lot of other areas of someone is going to be a, a pen tester, then they know their specializations or other types of pen testing they can do, but you know not everyone's as familiar with the security operations analyst, and that's one of the one of the areas that's a good way to get into security. So, what would we be places that you could move to from? security operations what would that prepare you for if you're wanting to move on from that type of role so commonly people use security operations to go into pen testing but there's just there's very, very little translation um from from defensive to offensive there's very little tra- uh, translation there i mean yes you have knowledge of different networks and different systems that they may use but there's the approach to security or approach to cybersecurity as a concept is different but from a security operations perspective, you can go into threat intelligence. You could go into CERT or um, IR. You can go into digital forensics. You could go into malware analysis. As a soccer analyst, you should have all of these skills at quite a low level already. But if you want to specialize, there are different avenues you can take. A lot of people become senior threat hunters. Now, you're probably thinking, well, a SOC analyst must be a threat hunter anyway. There's, there's a slight difference between the two. And the SOC analyst, you're going to be looking at these SIM tools, you're going to be looking for these alerts, you're going to be looking for um, probably ill behavior on that network. Whereas a threat hunter, your time is spending, you're spending your time looking at threat intelligence, trying to translate that into what you're trying to look for on the network, trying to look for that threat behavior before it becomes a problem. Um, so you are essentially that SIM tool um, there at that point in time. You are the one that goes ahead and, and does all those correlations to try and find this activity. Um you, the biggest route that people take is IR, and that's a, a big field in itself. IR is a massive field in itself. The ability to respond to a critical attack that's caused massive impacts to a business and being able to restore those systems in a holistic but safe manner is a massive field in itself. And that's something that comes with about three to four years SOC experience. You're probably going to be looking at IR roles there, and if that's where you want to go, or you can just go down the management route, which uh, I'm doing at the moment. You know, you've got your SOC lead, and you go to your SOC manager, your head of security operations. There's not really scope to become a CISO there. A CISO, from a head of security operations to a CISO, it's a very different route. You've got to learn all your GRC. You've got to learn how to talk to the business. So that's a different route altogether. A lot of people go, oh, you know, I'm a SOC analyst now. I want to be a CISO in 10 years. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, you've got to learn your stuff first. <laughs> So, so I had this discussion with someone who's going, okay, I'm a SOC analyst, but I want to be a CISO. I said, right, okay, right, first, let's just get your climbing boots on and let's get you up, start going up the mountain first before you get there because there's a lot to learn. Even if you want to go pen test as CISO, there's a lot to learn. Yes, I but agree. Yeah, there's many different... Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I, I was speaking to this uh, security leader uh, and I said to... Because so he said, oh, you know, you'd, you'd be good as a CISO. And I said, no, I wouldn't, trust me. And he's like, why? Don't talk to me. And I went, because honestly, I, I've looked at a job role of a CISO and I have no idea. That's why I'm doing stuff like CISM. I'm looking at risk management. I'm taking university courses at the moment to look at information security. And my mind is just like, I don't know any of this. I never would have been a CISO. I would have been there being like policy and just writing, drawing stuff in paint saying, don't click stuff. And just giving it to people. Like, that's your security policy. Don't click stuff. 
don't open <laughs> stuff. Crazy, crazy different world that. So, so one of the things I was curious about, since you did, uh, you know, a bit of time as a pen tester, did that help you in your security operations role? Massively, hundred um, percent. What I mentioned before that that translation doesn't exist from um, uh, defense to offense. It does. It still doesn't. It, it still doesn't exist from um, offense to defense. But the knowledge of how those threats may materialize is so important. So, for example, let me just put it into a context that a learner could understand, is when you're going through Try Hackman, you're doing these exploits, think to yourself, where could I see this exploit on a log? Where, where, what log would I need to ingest into my SIM tool? Would I need to detect the potential materialization of this exploit? That's really powerful. If you can start seeing stuff like credential dumping, you know where to look, or account creation for uh, persistence, and you know where to look, that's extremely powerful as, as a defensive analyst because you know where to look for, for malicious activity. Instead of just looking for all these log files, you can build really accurate queries that are going to give you the information you need to know. So when you're doing stuff like hack the box or try hack me, try looking at it from a defensive perspective while you're doing it. Say, okay, I've just done this exploit and I've got root. Where would I need to look to prove to somebody that that's happened? Let's just say that somebody's walked in the room and went, hey, my account's been compromised, prove it. Um, and you can go, right, this, this is a log file because I've done this exploit and I know where you need to look because I've tested it in my home lab by ingesting the logs of my vulnerable machine to a SIM tool. I've done the exploit on the vulnerable machine and I've seen it on my SIM tool. This is where you need to look. Uh, that is a very, very powerful bit of knowledge. And having that is going to make not just investigations easier, but your life easier as a defensive analyst. While the concept of red and blue are very, very different in terms of how they apply to achieve the goal of security, there is knowledge in, in, there is knowledge translation from, from uh, red to blue, blue to red. So it's important to have that touch of both. So if you are going to be doing blue, learn red. If you're going to be doing red, learn blue. Because if you're, if you're a pen tester, you want to know about what security controls they're using and what you need to bypass and what you need to hide from. And as a defensive analyst, you want to be looking at, well, well, where are they going to be using? What tools are they going to use? Where do I need to look? You know, you know what tools create a lot of volumes? Because I'll tell you what, if, if you are a defensive security analyst and you can't detect somebody doing an map on your network, I mean, you've got problems. Um, yeah, you've got some serious problems because a lot of pen testers, um, they just slap T4 on everything. They want to get it done quickly. So you're going to see them. Um, not that you should be stopping pen testers if they're doing pen tests, because it's not a good team engagement. So let the pen tester test. If you're a defensive analyst and you see a pen tester testing, don't network containment because you're going to get people breathing down your neck. Yeah, I think it's a good opportunity though to see what that malicious traffic looks like or that the NMAP scans, yeah. the Nessa scans and that sort of stuff to keep in the mind in the future when you know there shouldn't be a pen test going on. Yeah, definitely. Well, I appreciate you, you joining. This has been a great conversation. It was good to meet you virtually. I like what all that you're doing in the community and uh, keep up the awesome work. Thanks, thanks for being my guest. Brilliant. Thank you for having me on. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, 
and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.